Yeah. You ready? <laughs> hey. Let's go. Back. I'm at my. I'm at my prime. Whoa. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast. Today we're back in action with a little overrated, underrated, or at least part of it, with our good friend and colleague and coach and remote guru, Tyler Kalesi. Uh, Hey there. there. Tori's hanging out with us again in the studio. I took her out from vacuuming the lobby to bring her into (laughs) the studio to hang out with us. So... Um, we had a few that we never got to touch upon with with Tyler. Some we we try to get some scheduling things in there. We just couldn't make it work. He's on the West Coast. We're on the East Coast. So sometimes getting a good schedule doesn't always work. But we we managed to get it done today. So we had talked about static stretching, supplements, sleep, unilateral exercise, training on unstable surfaces. Uh, I talked about those personally, and I'm pretty sure for the most part, Tyler and I are in agreement with many of those things. We may come back around to static stretching because as a practitioner of physical therapy, Tyler might have some different opinions on static stretching and where they fit in versus what I feel as a trainer, mostly. I'm not a, I'm not a, pers- I'm not a physical therapist practitioner, but I treat a lot of people or I work with a lot of people through pain when they're also going to physical therapy or trying to supplement their training when they're going through pain or recovering from injury. So I also have some opinions in terms of that. But tracking data, uh, overrated, underrated, and then why? And then tracking data, what we're going to be talking about is keeping track of your weights, your numbers, your nutrition, any kind of data that can help you improve your health, wellness, and performance. That's the kind of data we're talking about. Ty, what do you think? Uh, Underrated. Tracking data is underrated. For sake of conversation, Tori? I think it's overrated when people go like all cuckoo with it. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I agree with with Tori. I think it's going to be overrated as well. And I'll have Ty start because, uh, like I said, I think he made a recent Instagram post about this if you want to dive a little deeper. But this will probably, this conversation will probably be definitely a little deeper than an Instagram post or any kind of post you might see because we get a chance to have an actual conversation around it. But why do you, why do you say underrated? So I think tracking data is underrated because um, you know most folks are not understanding where they are in in whatever process they want to be in, uh, working towards whatever goal they're looking to work towards, if they even have a goal. I think folks don't track or keep track or write down, type down what they do enough or consistently enough to kind of understand if there's progress happening or if there is progress not happening. Right. So I understand uh, the brief statement about kind of being overdone and people getting going, doing, being overwhelmed by tracking data. But I think if you can focus your tracking in on a few specific things, whether it's we're talking about nutrition or we're talking about your fitness, limiting yourself to what you write down or what you keep track of. You can understand progressions over time, which will help you understand if you're making the right choices nutritionally or making the right choices in the gym. Um, so you can change those choices or stay on the track you're on to reach the goals you want to reach. I think that far too many people are on these journeys for fitness or nutrition or just overall health and don't truly understand where they want to go or what they're doing. 
in, at the very least are overwhelmed with advice and recommendations from kind of the plethora of, of those things that we get through social media. And they find themselves changing tracks a lot, changing plans, changing goals. Um, and I think tracking data can help you limit how much change occurs if you are doing those things in moderation and not letting yourself get carried away with tracking everything under the sun. Yeah, like program hopping, you're saying. Program hopping, yeah, as well as you're tracking one thing and then you read this thing from someone else and you start, well, maybe I need to keep track of this as well. And, oh, well, maybe I should also write this down. And the next thing you know, you're journaling every five minutes on what you're doing and what you're eating. And I think it can be too much. I'm a personal victim of that being too much for sure. Yeah, I remember back in the day when you were doing like nutrition stuff, you were very uh, consuming with it. Uh, But what... What I'd like to, in, in the book Grit by Angela Duckworth, she talks about having grit is being able to stick to something for a long period of time. She classifies it as two different categories, as having passion and perseverance. And a lot of us have passion for something. So let's say uh, using Tyler's example, um, we have a passion for getting healthier, getting fit, uh, having some sort of fitness related goals or body composition goals. We have a passion for it, but the perseverance to stick to something long enough to see the results is where a lot of us struggle and then we program hop or we jumped from this thing. The other thing we saw something fancy on Instagram. So we got to do it. So we do, you know, no carbs this week. We do intermittent fasting next week. We do a carnivore diet this week and then we do keto and then we do vegan and then we keep program hopping, nutrition hopping, whatever you want to call it. We just keep jumping from thing to thing. So yes, in that sense, like I think tracking in that purpose ends up actually being a detriment because you end up not seeing the progress and it become becomes a deterrent because you're, you don't feel like you're seeing progress fast enough. And I think this is why I think if we can get Ty's opinion on this too, like what you said to limit it to a couple different things. So what are the couple different things that you would say to limit tracking to? Yeah. So Do you have anything specific in mind? Yeah. So with the clients that I work with, when we track data, I, limit what they track or what they tell me about um, so that we don't overwhelm them. With fitness, it comes down to one, what was the weight that you used? And two, how did you feel uh, on a scale of zero to 10, you know, rate of perceived exertion? That simple so that the next week when they go back to that movement, they're not just picking what feels good that day. They're trying to align with whatever sort of trajectory they've been on as far as weight goes. In terms terms of weight, now, this is where I think we've talked about this a long time ago, how percentages in basing things off of weight can be, um, what's the right word I'm, I'm looking for, but can be un, unreliable for novice lifters as mm-hmm. it, like if I, in this case, this where, where I'm also thinking it could be a deterrent for some folks or discouraging. Let's say if it says they hit 75% of your back squat today and you go in and 75% feels like 110% then it becomes an idea like, oh, this is really, I'm so, this is supposed to be 75%. It's supposed to be light. It's supposed to feel this way. And then why, why does it feel like this? I'm getting weaker. I'm struggling. You know what I mean? So that's where I feel like also sometimes tracking data instead of doing it based on how you feel for the day can also be a detriment in a lot of ways to, for some folks, especially novice lifters who don't quite understand or know how to quote unquote, turn that light bulb on to know what 75% is supposed to feel like and how those things kind of relate to everything else. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, if someone who has not trained or been in the weight room for long enough, 
you know, tracking based on percentages or even just tracking the weights may not be good for you. But for someone who has a decent understanding and basically most of my clientele have some level of experience in the gym and we're ultimately going after this bigger picture of health. So if you say my front squat is supposed to be 75% of my maximum today, last week I crushed 75%, this week 75% or let's say last week I did 100 pounds, this week I try to do 100 pounds and it doesn't feel the same. Very well may be discouraging, but let's dive deeper into why. If you don't remember last week was 100 pounds, this week you do 90 and you're like, crushed it again. You don't unremember or understand the difference in 10 pounds and how other things like your sleep, your stress, your mood, um, and your diet play into your performance this week. And performance just simply meaning, you know, the things that you're tracking, the weight you used, how you did in the weight room. So I, I agree that tracking can be a detriment as far as motivation can be demotivating. You can overwhelm some people, but for a specific population, tracking can give you a deeper look into how your training or your fitness uh, is relating or is carrying over from things like sleep, nutrition, you know, mood, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I can agree with that. And I think part of that also is what's difficult for a lot of people is to be self-reflective. So if you aren't, looking back at those numbers, if you're just tracking just to like write numbers down and you're not actually looking at them. And also if you're just looking and you're not being reflective on why they felt that way, or maybe even having some more details to those different numbers. So if you have a coach who's there to help you guide you through like, Oh, how come you don't ask those deeper questions? Why, why did a hundred feel so heavy today? Like how was your sleep the last couple of days? How was your stress level? Did you eat quality food last week? No, I had, you know, I went out drinking with all my friends and we had a, a rough weekend Okay, so that's why that that 90 pounds felt heavy today versus the 90 pounds or the 85 pounds last week. So like you said, now we have a chance for a bigger conversation to talk about the lifestyle things that are more in alignment with how your fitness carries over. So I think overall, for the novice, I think maybe tracking might be too cumbersome at first. But I think as we're as we're talking and Tyler is looking at the training age of an individual, somebody who has done a little bit more, has a little bit more in their toolbox, has a little bit more experience under their belt, then tracking is becomes one of the only ways you can really know if you're making progress anymore because you've kind of there there's something called the novice effect that no matter what you do, you're going to get better at something. So right. if if I'm doing anything and I get better at a certain point, you quote unquote plateau from that novice effect when your training age reaches a certain point. And now I have to start buckling in and dialing in what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. One of the things that uh, Susan Ebergal had talked about, which I thought was very interesting, is she was talking about like weighing yourself every day, but then only comparing yourself from, let's say if I weighed myself today and I weighed myself every day. She said, weigh your, then, then compare your data, not from day to day, but from month to month. So then I would look at July 16th, August 16th, and then September 16th and October 16th. And then those would be my points that I compare to each other versus my day-to-day weight. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I thought that was a very interesting way to look at how we then can look at those numbers that we actually track instead of getting discouraged. And I think as coaches, we can give more feedback or more ideas on what stuff to track and then how how reflective to be about it and then when to look at it to see and compare. I think we, today in the gym, we did a 2K row, which is one of those things that's a conditioning piece where we don't always tell folks to track their conditioning pieces in our gym because we just find that many times we're not going to repeat them. So it doesn't matter because if you are putting it in or you're tracking that data, quote unquote, 
you're only doing that to compare yourself to other people for the day and that has no value. But what does have value is comparing yourself to a previous version or a future version of yourself. So yes, when we do certain movements like a squat or a deadlift or so on and so forth, we do want you to put that information into Wattify, which is the system that we use. And then when we use certain benchmarks like today, like a 2K row, it gives us a, a sense of, are we still improving? And then, like I said, like as Tyler was saying, you don't want to overly track, like do too many things, but every once in a while, or you know, like when there's certain things that we focus on to tell people to track, like I want you to track this 2K row because we will be doing this again. So then we will be able to see if our fitness is progressing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would say that makes sense. Yeah. So, I think the real, for me, the real issue behind the issue is not necessarily whether tracking data is overrated or underrated, but rather having structure in your plan, your fitness or your rehab plan, right? Tracking data helps you to one, understand and then eventually create or change the structure of your plan and maybe even adopt some goals. For some people, who are just simply trying to get healthier and look better and move better. They're just doing what they think is correct. And they're trying to watch their body change and maybe nothing is giving them an indication of progress, you know, for someone like you, or maybe even someone with a few months of a training age, they understand that they'll be able to see change or see progress as their body changes, their ability changes, but someone who's frustrated and not seeing those changes, and I think tracking is indicated within the context of having like a coach or someone to guide them um, on how to track or what to track. Yeah. My training age is, is on the highest end of the most people. Um, I've been training since I was 14. So I've been training more. I've been training for more years than I've, I've not trained. So in my life cycle at this point, right. um, I've been training longer than Tori's been alive almost longer than Tyler's been alive. But, <laughs> but, you know, so, so like Tyler was saying, I don't, I, I don't track as much data. I mean, at certain points I might have done little things here and there, but I definitely don't track as much because I can honestly, for the most part, do things based off a of feel and know exactly why I'm able to do certain things versus why I can't do certain things. And even like today, I knew I wrote down my 2K row from the previous times. I, I, I knew what I had to beat before I even did it. Like I didn't have to look it up. I knew what my best 2K row time is. I know because I've been doing it for so long, how many toes to bar I can do in a row, how many wall balls I can do in a row, how much, how fast my mile time is, how fast my two, I all know that stuff is like ingrained in my head. So I don't have to write it down as much anymore because I think I've just been doing it for so long that those things are just there already. Whereas Tyler's saying, if you're, you know, if you're past that novice effect and you're kind of in that, that middle ground where things aren't so ingrained and because you haven't had that rhythm of things, then you don't have a, a clear, clear, super clear understanding of what you do. And then it's important to write that stuff down. So then you can have a clear understanding about what is happening, why it's happening, and then how you can progress or regress from there. Yeah. And I think, uh, Another massive point I try to make with, with the folks that I work with as far as tracking, we don't always have to track to see changes, right? Increases or decreases in weight or things like that. We can track simply just to see consistency. So the folks that I work with on a nutritional basis, we, we track their ability to abide to certain objectives. So when someone jumps on and we work together 
nutritionally, I will give them two, four, six nutritional objectives to work towards every day. That could be something like eat veggies with every meal, drink you know, 70 plus ounces of water and eat three servings of protein, right? For example, each day, instead of tracking however much protein they eat or tracking their weight, they simply put yes, yes, no, yes, right? Yes, next to each objective they missed or made, no next to each objective they missed. And we can have a reflective conversation about how many days they were able to get four out of four yeses. And once they can hit, let's say two weeks in a row or three weeks in a row of yeses on all objectives on every day, then we know it's time or they are appropriate for progressions and we can get more detailed or more finicky with their nutritional tracking. We can jump into things like macronutrients and things like that. But tracking alone may be overwhelming, but if you can bring it down to your your comfort level or your accessible level, uh, I think it can be very effective. And remind me about that as soon as we're done with this. I want to talk. I want to chat to you about something that uh, I was thinking about in terms of how to make something easily accessible for feedback for clients, and that we can always look it up and have a, a place for them to do that. So okay. we'll, we'll talk about that after. But so the next thing, I think I think we're good there. I think we're kind of on similar wavelengths, but not similar wavelengths at the same time. We we, we very much are looking at it from just different perspectives, and I think we yeah. both are saying the same things, but at, at a little different timelines, I think it matters differently for different folks. And just like most things depends on, depends on you, right? So your nutrition plan, it should be dependent on you. Your fitness plan should be dependent on you. How much you track and how in depth you go with your nutrition or fitness tracking also depends on you and what you can do consistently and be successful with. And that's where individualized planning and programming comes in and individualized coach and all that stuff kind of comes in. The next thing that we'll talk about, and then we're going to hop off here because we're going to have this be a shorty, which is why I'm talking so fast. It could also be, I just drank a cup of coffee too. But static stretching. Now, static stretching is kind of funny because it, it, this, this static stretching idea keeps coming full circle. And you see on social media that, and you have, if you've been in the industry for as long as I have, you see these different things where, Static stretching is the devil, and then static stretching is good, and now now static stretching is good again, and then static stretching is the devil, it decreases performance. I'm going to say that static stretching is highly, at this moment in time, highly underrated. What do you think, Tor? I'm just going to agree with me? I'm going to agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Tori's just going to agree with me. And Tyler, what do you think? Gosh, it's tough. I wish I had some time to think about this before the podcast. Oh, come on, man. Uh, I am going to say, for the sake of conversation, because I love a little bit of healthy banter, I'm going to say static stretching is overrated. All right. So I'm going to start, and then we'll, we'll go off of that. So I, I, I'm thinking it's underrated because what happened about, I don't even know when the study was now, probably 10, 12, maybe even 15 years ago, there was a research study that said that static stretching decreases power output. And essentially what they did is they tested somebody's vertical jump they had them touch their toes for two minutes and they had them test another vertical jump. And what they found was that they didn't jump as high the second time. Okay. That not, that's not really rocket science type study, but that's where <laughs> the, that's where the research comes from that says static stretching is not good for you. But I do think that for many people, especially the male population that comes into our gym over the last six years, they are very, very immobile. And I think depending on, like we just talked about, it's depending on circumstance and what you currently have, 
going on in your body, right? And what you had of previous experiences. Like we have also had some dancers and gymnasts and people come into the gym that don't need to static stretch ever again in their life. But as a whole, I think for the most part, in order to get to a good position where you can actually, if you can't get into a range, you can't train in that range. So in order to be able to get into a certain range of motion, to be able to squat at full depth, to be able to pull a barbell from the floor, to be able to hang from a pull-up bar, you have to have some prerequisite flexibility. And some of that stuff doesn't just doesn't happen overnight. And it just doesn't happen from, you know, strength training. Some of it does because some of it might just be motor control issues if you've never done stuff before. And what do I mean by that? It means like your body actually has to learn how to move properly. Like that happens with young, super young athletes who've never done anything before. Like you try to get them to squat the first day, they look like a, a, a baby deer. And then you teach them how to do something a couple times and then they, they figure it out and they get lower and they, their muscles figure out what's supposed to happen. But as you get older, those things just, when you don't use them, you lose them. Right. And if you don't train in any certain ranges of motion, then those things get stiff and tight and you have to do something to get them back functioning. So you can then train in those new ranges of motion to be able to do something. That's why. And I think people have over glorified, like we talked about foam rolling and over glorified, you know, just kind of grinding through stuff and using dynamic stuff, especially in the CrossFit world where I'm just going to throw a barbell over my head with my legs and try to, and push it into this range of motion that doesn't belong. I'm going to kit myself through this dynamic range of my shoulder and get it to a position where it doesn't belong. I'm going to dive under this wall ball into a squat range where I'm not comfortable or safe in. And then over time, those things just beat us up. So I think that's where static stretching needs to play a bigger role and people need to value it a little bit more. So then they can train healthy and safely into these ranges of motion. Okay. Good job. <laughs> all right. All right. So, like I said, I am going to stand on the side of it being overrated for the, for the uh, sake of the podcast. But I will say that there are a few reasons why you could argue static stretching is overrated. Okay. First reason, uh, it's simply overdone without appropriate understanding for what's going on or why the person is doing it. I think any time that someone has a limitation, whether that's tightness or pain or discomfort or feeling of stiffness, we look to a few specific things. And one of those commonly looked to things is static stretching, right? My, the front of my hip bothers me. I'm going to get down on one knee and stretch out the, my hip flexors in the front of my hip. My shoulders are stiff overhead, so I'm going to get down and do the, the prayer stretch with my hands like on the wall or on a bench. I'm going to just do that every day. I hear it all the time with patients. I just I think I need to stretch more. While I, I may agree before, with you. I'm going to interrupt you a second. No, before, before we go on to like more of that, do you ever ask them how long they stretch for? Yeah, so this is why I think that static stretching is is somewhat overrated because – it is poorly prescribed, whether that's being prescribed yourself or someone else giving you those parameters. People don't understand that in order to create actual change at the tissues, right? So cellular level change at the tissues, you need to accumulate upwards of three plus minutes in that position, right? Now, for some people, if static stretching is new to you, that could simply be 60 seconds at a time you know, going through that about three rounds. But if, if someone has been static stretching for long enough where they have, once again, an old enough training age, meaning they've been in the gym for long enough time, they really need to be in those positions for a while. And not just a while in the moment. 
those static stretches need to be done over the course of weeks or months, relentlessly consistent in order for your body and your nervous system to allow for the change to happen. Right. I think this is one of the biggest reasons why I think static stretching is overrated because most people stop the stretch before their nervous system has had time to relax. Yeah. Right? I think so, a lot of people do it like 20 or 30 seconds until it kind of feels better and then they stop. But as Tyler was saying, and I, I talked about this on the previous version of this podcast as well. Static stretching isn't a right now game. It's a 6, 12, 15, 18 month game. Right. So it's, you have to do this every day for longer periods of time for it to see significant change and for you to feel better six, 12, 18 months from now. Yeah. If, if you're going to static stretch um, and you're going to do it a couple times a week, every week for, like he said, months, maybe even years, changing up the practice as you go, I'm all for it. Right. I think everyone should be doing it. But if static stretching is done in an effort to create acute or quick change in response to something that you're feeling, you probably don't need it. You probably need to do something else like go lighter or move slower or change your program. Um, but if static stretching is, is a mindfully prescribed or mindfully chosen thing as part of a, a healthy program, let's do it. He said everybody should do it. So just, so just throwing it out there, by the way. Yeah. Looking at me. So yeah, so everybody should do it in, in a proper dosage, right? And I think if you have, and, and what, when's a great time to do that, especially a great time to foam roll and a great time to stretch is right before bed. People don't think of that, but both of those things, like Tyler was talking about, allow your central nervous system to like calm down in those ranges. And that's what foam rolling does too. Foam rolling kind of like initiates our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and relax. And that if you do that before bed, there's a good chance that you might actually sleep better because they do tend to reduce the stress levels on your total system and allow you to sleep better and potentially recover better from any of the stresses, including the exercise that you did in that day. So basically we all agree then. <laughs> of course. Not. I mean, we all agree on most things, which is why yeah. we're, we're, we're working in the same place and doing the same things. Yes. All right, we're, at, we're at 26 minutes. Tori, you got anything? Anything that, that tickled your pickle over there? I mean, it all did. <laughs> it all tickled her pickle in her green shirt right now. She looks like a pickle. I could use a pickle. Yeah. I don't have anything extra. No? Ty, we got three and a half minutes. What do you got? Anything? No, I, I don't have anything extra. I mean, Perfect. we could talk so, about a lot. But. Yeah, we could talk about a lot, but this was a quickie. We wanted to get it in and out. And if, you do, if you're not familiar with what we're doing at Prime Movement Performance and uh, Prime Connect, Tyler, is, Tyler and I run our group programming, which somebody on, on Instagram asked me what that means. So if you're listening to this and you don't know what that means with our group template program, it would be similar to walking into a group strength and conditioning facility, a CrossFit facility, and you have the workout up on the board. That's a group program. Everybody follows the same thing. And in ours, what I think that we've done in the last couple cycles, which is very has gotten well received, is that we have different versions of the same movement pattern for you, depending on your skill level and depending on the equipment you have available. So it might say something like, choose your squat for the day. And it might have a front squat if you have a barbell. It might have a goblet squat if you only have a dumbbell or kettlebell. And it might have some other version of a squat um, to allow you to do that. Maybe it's at tempo, maybe it's at a heavier weight. So you have these different options to allow you some accessibility 
and flexibility in your program. Tyler and I write that together. We flip-flop weeks or we flip-flop cycles. And that program, um, we can give you a seven-day free trial and where you can try it out for seven days, see how you like it, see how it is. And then that one is 49 bucks a month. In addition, Tyler and I also do individualized programming at different price points, depending on if you wanted to do nutrition with it or lifestyle stuff or just programming. And you can reach out to one of us to get those prices because we do tailor them a little different depending on what you actually want and then how in-depth we are going to be with that program for you. So different prices for that. But you can get an individualized program, anything from accessory work to your current gym membership. If you go to a traditional CrossFit gym or a uh, training conditioning gym and you want some accessory work program for you all the way to everything laid out for you specifically so you can do everything either it's from your house from a global gym from a crossfit gym if you have open gym so whatever you have access to we can program everything tailored specifically for you your goals your needs and your wants and that's our prime id program i think that's it and if you're listening to us and you're in the area, we're also doing a seven-day free trial with a coming up in September, a back to school, back to you program. So we'll have more of that coming out on our Instagram and social media platforms soon. So Ty, anything, anything closing? No, that's all I got. Thanks, thanks for having me again. I love these, uh, these conversations. I hope we continue to do them because I think a lot of people learn from them. And I think, you know, I learn a little bit about my myself and what, what I'm thinking, what I'm telling people as well. So it's, it's good. For sure. And now that you don't have to work on Mondays, maybe we could try to schedule a time that we can do this every Monday. Every Monday for like four more weeks, because I'm going back to working Mondays. So. That's okay. That's four more podcasts. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> All right, my man. Be safe. Have a good day. Later. Later. Thanks again for hanging out for another episode of the Prime Podcast. As always, we would love some feedback, hear your reviews, shoot us some stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and let us know how we're doing. Until next time, peace. Whoa. Said I'm at my prime.